The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now all of tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow wel welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not the light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. I have to say that I always seem to approach these particular two parables with what seem like kind of strange questions. But I always have them every time I read them. If there is a celebration with friends and neighbors over a sheep that was found, what do they have for dinner? <laughs> and if a woman finds a coin and rejoices and invites her friends to a party, how many of those coins does she spend on the party? <laughs> we had a couple of back-to-school parties, and I know it can cost a few coins. I don't know. Does anybody else think of these questions? Maybe I'm just the biggest cynic in the room. I don't know. Well, as off-topic as those questions may be to start us out, I wonder if questions like that are kind of entering the minds of those religious leaders who are grumbling at Jesus. By the way, the grumbling here is the same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for those grumbling in the wilderness, uh, the people of God there. But anyway, they're grumbling and they are measuring the cost of Jesus pouring out God's grace kind of willy-nilly, it seems. 
They're grumbling at that, and, and, it, and it's being poured out on all the wrong kinds of people. Jesus is listening to people's stories that, that aren't listened to. He's healing and he's forgiving as if there is no end to God's mercy and grace. As if there is no one who sits outside of the kingdom that Jesus wants to, that he seems desperate to usher in. But the religious leaders say, no, 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 that's not how God works. We must keep good order. We must protect our status as the righteous ones. And that reaction should come to us as, as no surprise. But it's also no surprise that the tax collectors and sinners, those who have been kept outside, literally, physically outside at times of, of parts of the temple and other things, it's no surprise that they, those ones who have been kept outside the in-crowd told they are unclean, they're unworthy of contact with God, that they're leaning in now to what Jesus is saying. And they are hearing this message of Jesus loud and clear. So what is he saying? Well, Jesus tells two parables about possessions. The first is about a sheep that wanders off or doesn't hear the shepherd's voice or gets lost for some reason. Some of you know, uh, as a kid, I had sheep for a short time. So let me just tell you, sheep are dumb, and we're going to leave it at that. It's not my favorite image. It's an oft oftentimes biblical image for us that we are sheep. But uh, anyway, I'll get over that. But sheep are supposed to respond to the call of their shepherd. They're supposed to follow one another. They're supposed to gather together. It's really the only defense they have against all of the predators out there. And there were many in that day. In fact, even the shepherd going off to find the sheep by himself was dangerous. The choice to ignore the shepherd has this sheep in a pickle. And it seems as if, though, when we think about a sheep, it didn't listen, it didn't hear, it didn't follow. There's some fault, maybe, on the part of the sheep. But what's really interesting here is that Jesus doesn't give the sheep any kind of movement toward the shepherd. Yeah, it's the sheep's fault. Yeah, it's in a pickle. All of that kind of stuff. But Jesus doesn't talk about the sheep's movement at all. He doesn't focus on what the sheep did or what's led to it being in this predicament. It's simply lost. All of the movement is on the part of the shepherd, even to the point of putting the sheep on its shoulders and carrying it back to the rest of the fold. That's not a light, a light job. <laughs> now, I've had a dog run off on me before when I was a kid. It seemed like whenever dad left, all the fences fell down and the cows got out and things like that. And I can tell you in kind of herding those cows back or trying to find that, that dog who seems to run more, if I call it, back to me, I do not rejoice and put it on my shoulders, and certainly not the cows, but the dog either, and, and carry it back home. No, I'm like, you get over here and listen to me next time. And I won't tell you the choice words I had for the cows when they broke out of their pasture and wouldn't go home because, boy, that corn tasted good. But how the shepherd finds the sheep is just as beautiful as the finding itself. It's beautiful and joyful entirely. And if the point hasn't yet been made with the sheep who's lost, Jesus turns to the telling of something even more valuable. Something that, 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 wouldn't, uh, that, that was completely incapable of finding itself. 
I didn't bring a sheep to lose, but if I lose a coin, right, it flips out of my hand, I don't know that I've done it, and it's lost, what is the fault of that coin? There's no fault, of course. The coin has no mobility, it has nothing to say, nothing to do, it can only just stay there, stay put. It seems as if Jesus is acknowledging a couple of different ways of being lost. There are the circumstances that we create, the choices that we make, the dark paths that we go down. The refusing to listen to the voice of the shepherd and we are lost and we are cut off and we are alone and we are unsure of how to get back or if there is any hope for us. And then there are the circumstances in which we find ourselves lost because of someone else's sin or brokenness or just bad luck or the general circumstances around us. And Jesus seems to cover both of those. He throws this blanket of grace over it all with an assurance that we worship a persistent God who is joyfully desperate to not only find us, but to restore us once again. Our fear and our shame carried on his shoulders so we can enter in to the joy of the celebration. Well, that's what Jesus is saying, but to whom is he talking? Who is lost Is it the sinners who are listening to him? Is it the Pharisees and the leaders who are grumbling? Well, it seems like that isn't the point either. It's not that we're asking the wrong questions. Those are okay questions to ask. But more that we're focused in the wrong place. I can ask, is Jesus talking to me? Am I lost? I have lots of yeses for those. But what I can really proclaim is something even greater. It's the promise given here, namely that Jesus is carrying me, that Jesus is throwing a party for me, that Jesus will not stop until he has found me, until he has found you. I am right here and now, right in the confession that we did at the beginning of of worship and the words of absolution that we hear. I'm right now being set free. And this gathering is the celebration. It's the party. This water is the washing. This table holds the meal of celebration. Joy J. Moore, a professor at Luther Seminary, tells the story of being in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And she was lost, right? She was telling this lost story. And she was driving down this, this road, and she wasn't sure if it was right. But all of a sudden, she saw this sign to turn to the right, and it went uh, to this field, the field where Flight 93 crashed on 9-11. That was the, the flight not, that didn't make it to its mark because of the heroic efforts of the people on the plane. And she thought, well, I've, I've, I need to turn aside here and, and kind of go and, and be in this, this, this space. And she kind of, as she's driving there, she's thinking, well, this is going to be a real space of, of kind of, of, of darkness and remorse, and it's going to be hard and mournful and, and all that. And she was driving, and the wind was kind of blowing, and it was a little bit stormy, Um, kind of blowing up a little bit, and she got to the place, and as she got there, she noticed that there were these wind chimes that were set up as a memorial. I don't know if any of you have been here. There, I have not. But she said there were these wind chimes in memorial to those who had died. And she said in the storm and, and in the blowing of the wind, those chimes were turning and they were playing this beautiful music. And in the midst of the graveness and the seriousness of that place and of that day and of her remembrance of it, she felt a sense of overwhelming joy. In the, she tried to actually record it and send it to friends, but all they could hear was the wind. All they could hear was the storm. 
she, but she could hear those chimes playing, the Spirit of God blowing in the midst of the storm and making beautiful music. There's a beautiful song in the, in the Broadway musical, Dear Evan Hansen, where he sings again and again, you will be found, you will be found, you will be found. A song that, that ignites a sense of assurance. It goes viral on social media and as part of this musical that people know they will be found. And God is singing to us as well, singing a beautiful song, not just that we will be found, but that we are found. And we carry that song into a world where there is so much loss. And that song frees us to rally around God's love, to join the shepherd as he leans into the world with an earnest sense of joy. Like Paul, who reflects on this freedom, this deliverance, this being found by God that he's experienced, and then he leans into the world. He doesn't deny what he's done. He confesses it, but he leans into the world. And we know the results of that. And so we too, we here in this place, are committing ourselves to a new chapter of ministry together, a rallying cry that we are leaning in to our congregation, that we are leaning in to our community, that we are leaning in to our world once again. In fact, I want you to say it with me. I want you to say, I'm leaning in. Oh, that was all right, but we can do better. I'm leaning in. I want you to look at someone around you and say, I'm leaning in. Look at someone else. I'm leaning in. All right. We have come through together all of our own individual things, but we've come together through a dismembering time. I remember when I was... Um, the, the Sunday, the first Sunday that we were isolated by COVID, uh, I went to bed just distraught and I was kind of anxious and I was like, oh, what is going to happen and what are we going to do? And I woke up on Monday morning and I had this, this thought that came to me um, and uh, Kim Grasnick was kind enough to put it on a shirt. And you can see the shirt's faded because I thought this was going to be a few weeks, right? It says, the big sweet resurrection, praise God, holy hugs reunion, someday. Well, without... Uh, denying that we are still in the midst of this pandemic and those who are vulnerable and all that kind of stuff, I want to proclaim that this is the day. This is the big, sweet resurrection, praise God, holy hugs, reunion someday. We are people who are freed. God has leaned into finding us. God has redeemed us. And as people who are redeemed, we carry that redemption, that message, into a world in need into our homes that are in need, into this place of worship where those who have been longing and longing for connection, especially our young people, are leaning in once again. In fact, go ahead to the next three slides. Just show them real quickly. I want to show you there's been some leaning in going on this summer, and we're going to bless these rooms uh, uh, during our Sunday school hour. Are those slides in there? I know I sent them this morning. I was a little late. Just pop to the next, maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> We'll get, him if, 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 we'll get him if we get him. But there we go. So these rooms have been, have been stewarded and they've been listening and leaning into our community and leaning in to our faith formation in this place, leaning in to those who are youngest among us, those who have been most affected by the disconnection that they've experienced. We're leaning in and we're going to be blessing these rooms and that's only one example. I want to invite you, brothers and sisters, found sheep and, and lost coins that are found to lean in to God's grace, to share it and to love. In Jesus' name, amen.